0: You're listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast this month. All this month we're talking about the afterlife and so we've already had two talks. Uh, we kind of framed uh, what the afterlife is. We, we talked about some big misconceptions. We do podcast our talks. You can listen to those from the past two weeks. Today we're going to be talking about hope and the hope that we have. Um, and so it's going to be a good Sunday. And uh, if you're new to the Mill Sunday School and all the tables are uh, a little like a cardstock card. It says get schooled on it. And it has a place is for you to fill out your information. If you fill out your information, especially your email and give it to us, we'll put you on our email list which will email you like... Maybe twice a year. We don't abuse it by any means. But uh, you do get a gift, a CD from, it's got some worship songs on it from one of our Friday night meetings. And if you haven't been to the Mill on Friday night, that's our college. Our main college ministry meets Fridays at 7 o'clock. It's pretty awesome. It's like a legitimate college service. Whereas the Mill Sunday School, which you're at right now, is, is more just teaching. It's more of like a gathering of nerds. Right, nerds? Yeah, and, and I mean that in the best of ways, of course, and uh, we, we, we dive into scripture, we dive into specific topics each month, that's what we do, that's what we're all about. So this month, today, we are, the third talk this month is on uh, the hope that we have in the afterlife, and we have a guest speaker, he's pretty cool, his name's Jordan Haley, Woo-hoo! Uh, Jordan, come on up. He's a really cool dude. He, he's spoken here before. I'm sure you've seen him around, and you know him, and you love him. Um, yeah, so without further ado, everybody, Jordan Haley.
1: Thank you, Joe. This is the third week in the topic of the afterlife. Uh, the, I want to kind of cover a couple things that Joe has gone over the last two weeks before we get started The two main goals we have for this week and for this month is first, let the Bible shape our perspective what the afterlife is. Let the Bible say what it that is. We're not going to make things up. Uh, Joe used the example before. Are puppies in heaven? I I don't know. I'm not going to say puppies are in heaven because I can't necessarily prove that to you, in other words. Um, And also, we want to, again... Not make things up, we don't want to kind of put our own opinion, our own descriptions, or our own desires into what we think heaven will look like. And so, up on the board, I have this statement, life after life after death. It's a statement by N.T. Wright. Last week, Joe talked about the life after death. He talked about paradise. After we die, like if you were to die now, or those people that have died already, where are they at now? Uh, Joe talked about how on the the thief on the cross next to Jesus, Jesus tells the thief, you will be in paradise with me today. And so Joe described after we die where we're at as kind of that intermediate period. He also went over purgatory and how the differences in purgatory to what the way we would view the afterlife also. So last week was life after death. So after we die, where do we go? This week we're going to talk about Life after life after death. Okay. We've heard people talk about the resurrection. We've heard people, Joe, reference the new heavens and the new earth. So at that point, you know, we die. When we die now, we go to be in paradise with God. We are instantly with God. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Okay. But what does life look like after the resurrection? At the end of the world, when everything goes down, what does life look like then? We're going to take a look at that life today and the hope that we have in that life. I really want to emphasize the hope we have today. So we're not going to just look at, you know, we're not just going to talk about the resurrection. We're not going to just talk about the new heavens, the new earth. But we're going to take a look at the hope we have in it and why that hope is important. So I want to start out by reading Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So you can flip there real quick if you'd like says therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of god for then that we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope hope does not put us to shame because god's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Okay, you heard me emphasize hope a couple of times, because I really want to focus on that word. And Before we dive into this scripture and take a look at the hope that is described here, let's talk about hope in general. Because often we use hope with kind of like a wishful tone behind it. I mean, how many people have, you know, forgotten about a test in college. You're like, okay, you go to class. The teacher's like, oh, yeah, we have a quiz. We have a test today. Or, or last minute, the night before, you're like, oh, great, I got a test tomorrow. And you're like, you're trying to cram. You're trying to look at everything. You're trying to review everything. You're trying to recall everything. And, like, in your mind, you're just you're hoping. You're praying. Just Maybe. I can pass a class. I mean, you're not even hoping for an A. You're realistic. You realize going into a test, you're not really prepared, but you're just hoping, man, I barely prepared. I forgot all about this. But I'm hoping just maybe, maybe I can scrape by. I mean, who's experienced that? I know I have. Come on now. Okay. And that's, that's, that's what I call like a, a desperate, wishful hope. Okay, also with hope, there's also instances where we use hope Um, when we have more confidence behind it. Um, Today is actually my one-year anniversary. I've been married to (laughs) Mia. Right there, raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand a little. We've been married for one year. We got married this time last year here in Colorado. And so when I was thinking about hope, I started thinking back to our relationship and the process that we went through. You go through the dating phase, and then you start talking about Marriage, and then you start looking at rings together, and you start getting into that phase. Okay, we had discussed marriage, we had looked at rings together, and so we—I was feeling really confident before I ever even proposed to her. I was feeling, I really think she's going to say yes. You know, I feeling good about it. We've we've talked about it, and so we—I actually proposed to her at uh, Flying Horse, which is not too far from here, uh, last you know, like a year and a half ago. And so we were coming up here for spring break. Um, We had not been engaged yet, but we realized we want to get married in Colorado. So we're like, well, we live in Oklahoma. We've talked about marriage while we're up here. Why not not take a look around some different locations to have an idea where we might want to get married? So whenever I did propose, because she wanted to be surprised. And so my biggest goal is to surprise her. So whenever we did get married, at least we have not you know, an idea of what locations we're looking at. And so it was the first location we looked at. Uh, She had no idea what was going on. Uh, We actually had an early morning. We got in late the night before to uh, visit her parents also. And so to make a long story short, going into the whole situation, I had a lot of confidence. Because, I mean, here we are potentially looking at a location. We've talked about marriage. I mean, the likelihood of her saying no was minimal, but still, I was nervous. I, I wanted to say, I want to propose correctly. I didn't want to stumble over my words. You know, I want, I want to be romantic, be smooth, you know. You, you, I got, every guy wants to be that way, and they propose. And so, I, I, you know, I was nervous. But, you know, I had, I had a, a real hope that she was going to say yes. I mean, there's that slight chance she could not respond or even say no. But I would say I had a confident hope. Okay, now let's take a look at the hope in Romans 5. I want to look, this is not a hope of a, a wishful thinking hope. And this is something beyond just a confident hope. What we have is a hope in Christ. What we have is a hope in our redemption that is factual, that is, is truth. There is no possibility for a no in this situation. There's no possibility for not acing the test. And so let's go right into chapter 5 verse 1 in Romans again therefore since we have been justified by faith we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ and so right there it is it is the we have peace through our lord jesus christ we have to realize that it's we don't have anything that's unsettling we should be at ease we have peace in jesus christ and we have peace in him because of what he did he's not just said like oh just believe in me he's like believe in me and believe what i have done because he came He died on the cross. He was resurrected, and our life is in him. So he has taken action to give us life and to give us peace. And to continue down through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We can rejoice in this hope. It's not a wishful hope. It's, It's a rejoicing that takes place. And to continue down... Uh, Let's go down to verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. And so right there, I want to emphasize the Holy Spirit and how God has poured out his love through the Holy Spirit in us. So do you guys remember, have you guys been going to the mill on Friday nights hearing Aaron Stern preach on Colossians? Do you guys remember that Tupperware contrapment box thing he has going on you guys remember that okay to refresh you guys real quick he has hopefully I get this right he has he has a container that has your has you on it you and and the scripture talks about how Christ is in us and he takes a container with Christ and places it in us and then there's scripture that talks about how the 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 fulfillment of God, everything that is God, is in Christ. So there's a container that says God on it that is in Christ, and the same container that is in us. And then those three containers are placed in God, because we are also in God. So Christ is in us, the fulfillment of God is in us, and then we are also in God. And then he did this thing where he saran-wrapped the whole thing, and he talked about how we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians talks about how that is our seal. And so when I look at verse 5 here, it talks how he, he has poured out the Holy Spirit into our hearts. And then through that, we know that he loves us. And so that example is a perfect example of the factual hope we have because of what has already taken place. Because of what Christ has already done. He has already died. He's already been resurrected. He's already conquered death. And he's also poured out his Holy Spirit in us as that seal and that confirmation. As, when he starts, as we go into the future redemption, as we go in to start talking about the resurrection and the new heavens and the new earth, we have this reality that this stuff is real and we can truly have a factual, truthful hope in it because of what he's already done. Does it make sense? Still following me? Okay. Okay, going on from there, if you look at Romans 8, it also talks about how moving into the new, new heavens, new earth, and also moving into uh, the redemption of our bodies and the resurrection. Um, it talks about how, how creation, in chapter 8, creation eagerly, uh, it says, let me go ahead and just read... Uh, it says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And it continues on and talks about how creation is in bondage. And how it, it eagerly awaits being redeemed. And so forth. It talks about how we eagerly await for the redemption of our bodies. So this eager awaiting is something that is we can really hold on to because of what Christ has done. And because of the factual, truthful hope we have in him. So let's start... By moving, let's start talking about the resurrection, okay? Why is the resurrection important? Okay, that's the question. So, we realize that Christ died on the cross. You know, he spilled his blood, he was beaten, he was buried, and he rose again. He was resurrected. Resurrection is a big deal. Because it wasn't like he was, you know, resuscitated. It wasn't like, you know... He went to sleep for a while, or he was dead, and they just resuscitated his body. No, he was resurrected, which resurrection means that he became a new body, a new creation. This is a big deal, because the resurrection is such a big deal because it's a new creation coming about. It is Christ himself dying, defeating death, coming back to life, and then promising that same redemption to us. It's promising that same glorified body to us. That is why the resurrection is so important. It's just not about, you know, Jesus being resurrected. Yeah, that's cool. He came back to life. No. Uh, N.T. Wright describes it as, The resurrection of Jesus had brought about a new state of affairs in cosmic history and reality. God's future has burst into the present. You know, in Scripture, we're we're going to talk about this, but it talks about the resurrection. Our bodies being resurrected. Our bodies being redeemed a new heaven, a new earth, and the the earth, creation itself, being redeemed. And this is fascinating because it's not something that's way in the future. It's something that's taken place because Christ himself is the first fruit. He is the one that has been resurrected first. And so our hope is in that because he has already defeated death. He's already been resurrected. So when he promises us the same thing, we can hold to it truthfully with a reality because it's already taken place through him. That's pretty cool, I think. It's not just some random promise that we have. And so, I think it's fascinating. So, you guys wake out there? You guys doing all right? I feel like I see some tired faces out there, you know. so Everything going good with school? People, people stick keeping up with their homework, you know? You know, hope, hoping they're going to do well? Yeah? Yes? No? Okay. Okay, I, I want to look at... Uh, Romans chapter 6, to kind of look at the hope that we have in the resurrection, the hope that we have for ourselves. Um, I'm going to start with verse 4 of Romans 6, and then read down through a few scriptures. It says, We have been buried, therefore, with him by baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly, certainly, certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Certainly, that word right there, we will be united with him in the resurrection like himself. That we, too, ourselves, will be resurrected at the end time. We will be resurrected. We, would, we will take on a new body. If you look at Jesus' resurrection, you know, after he was resurrected. People are like, uh, what was Jesus' body like? There was some resemblance to himself. He, still, he actually still had the marks. Um, but there's this transcendence to his body. There's a scripture in John 20 where it talks about people being in a being in a locked room, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears. So there's this, this picture of his transcendent body actually going through walls, but at the same time, they're able to touch him. And so this, this new glorified body that he has, we also will have. And it's, it's promised right there in Romans 6. And so to kind of continue on, everyone's like, okay, you kind of slightly describe Jesus' resurrected body. What, what's this resurrected body going to look like? Does anyone have that question? Yes, no, maybe. I feel like I'm about to trick you. So. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35, it says, But someone who asks, How are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? Yeah, really, really. He says, You foolish person. That's how he follows up the question Paul does. So people are asking, Hey, Paul, okay, How is this resurrection going to take place? And what's this going to look like? And he responds, You foolish person. So I'm not calling you guys foolish. I had the same question, so I, I, I tricked you. So as we look into it, he, he, he goes into this description of a seed being buried, and from that seed, a new life coming about. And that's the picture of our lives now, today. When we died, we, we were coming out of the creation of now. Like, we were going to get a new body. Our bodies are going to be restored. It's just not about throwing away what is now. And what is, what is thrown away our bodies now for something crazy new? It's about the restoration of what he created. It's about him restoring what he has done. And so going down to verse 42, it says, So is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is, in, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. And so... Our bodies now, they're perishable, they're not perfect, and they're weak. But those are buried, and from that, Christ will redeem us and resurrect us to a body that's imperishable, to a body that is of glory, and a body that is strong and powerful. And so that is the description I would give to the resurrected body that we will obtain. You know... Uh, I was reading a book, and the author used a description. He was talking about this topic, and a girl came up to him and says, you know, you talk about our bodies being redeemed, talking about them being restored. Does that mean the crooked nose I have that I don't like? Does that mean I'm have a crooked nose in heaven? And so, <laughs> and so looking at that is there's those questions like, you know, you can't answer that question for sure. But the point is, that is not the focus. Those are the situations that we don't want to look into. We don't want to try to figure out, uh, is that, no. The fact is, our bodies are imperishable. They are glorified. They are no longer weak, but powerful. And so, everything else will line up with that, if that makes sense. And so, um, C.S. Lewis and The Great Divorce. Has anyone read that? Yes, No. Really good book. Um, he he des- depicts the body as being more solid, more real, more substantial than the present one. And so the, the thing that people look at sometimes is they'll look at the creation of the earth. They'll look at the creation of humanity and think that God screwed up or that it's all bad. But when God created humanity, when he created the heaven's and earth, he said it was good. It was a good thing. Then sin entered into the world. And destruction took place. And so we got to realize, going back to the beginning, when everything started, creation, humanity, everything that was created was good, and then sin, destruction, you know, had its way. And so now he's redeeming the way he started. He wants things to be pure the way they began. And so it's not about him just scrapping absolutely everything, scrapping everything that is. It's about him redeeming what he first created, that what he said was good from the beginning. Okay, now let's go into the new heavens and the new earth and the new creation. Because there's this idea, when we talk about the, the life right here, the life after life after death, at the end, when after the resurrection, after new heavens, and new earth, these people have, people have an a, idea that we go off to heaven, that we're trying to escape this earth, that this earth itself is bad, but it's not. He's here to restore it. Um, Referencing back to Romans 8, it talks about how creation itself is is longing to be set free from bondage and corruption. That creation itself is looking forward to redemption. I'm not saying that creation itself is like alive, like a new age look of like Mother Earth. No, it's, it's, it's depicting it, it's describing it as a fact that creation itself will be destroyed. So don't get too worried, don't read into that too much where you start getting this new age picture there. It's not, it's not calling it Mother Earth, it's not giving it a unique life. Earth itself is not a being, um, but, it cre- but creation, earth itself, will be restored. And so, let's take a look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 13. It talks about, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And so, to take us on this fun journey of depicting the new heavens, new earth, um, I want to go into, straight into Romans 21, verses 1 through 3, then we'll kind of talk about it a little bit. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. So we have this picture of a new heaven, new earth. And and the line how God's dwelling place will be with man. Heaven and earth will be united. There's nothing separate behind it. That in the end, this picture of God restoring what he's already created. Restoring our bodies. To be to live in glory with Him. And we have hope in this as being a reality of because of what Christ has done. Because He has poured out His Holy Spirit in us. This isn't something we just wishfully hope for. That He will restore our bodies. He will restore the heavens and the earth. And we will dwell with Him. Heaven is about living with God. Heaven is about being in the presence with Him. And so, in case you have thought of this as heaven as being, okay... God's going to take us up, take us off to heaven. We're going to leave this heaven and earth, and we're going to be in this place of eternity with him. It's not completely wrong, so I'm not trying to bash the idea, but what I'm trying to focus is on that he, God is a God of restoration, restoring. And that, yes, we will be with God forever. We will be with him, but we'll be in him in a restored heaven, a restored creation where he will be dwelling with us. There's no separation where... He is with us now, but he will be with us even more so than what we have now. And I think that is just fascinating when you start to think about that. And uh, another scripture I, l- I love to look at is uh, in Revelation 21 also. And talks about the Jerusalem. It says, And showed me the holy city Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, is radiant like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, Clear as crystal. And he keeps going on and on and on and describes this. So we've all heard about heaven, the streets of gold. And so we have this idea, okay, I'm saved. I'm going to go to heaven. God's going to redeem me. And I'll be in this place of streets of gold. You know, some of this, it may be literal. It may not be literal. But what is taking place right now is God saying, I'm going to restore your body. I'm going to restore creation. And it is going to be glorious, majestic. I mean, he's using things... That we have a concept of here on earth now that has value to it. That that we can say, wow, that is that's legit material that he's gonna be using. And so he's using that to portray the majestic creation that is gonna be there, that he's gonna restore. Is it making sense? You follow me? This topic can get really can be really interesting sometimes. Okay, time to check it. And so we have an eternity that got with God, and we have a hope in this. And there's three scriptures that I think depicts the, the resurrection, that depicts the new heavens, that depicts the new earth, that really shows what this restoration, this redemption is going to be like. Now, I'm going to have you go ahead and write them down, and then I'll go through them. Write down Revelations 22.3. Second Timothy 1.10, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. And this will give, again, a further picture of what all this will look like. It says, Revelations 22.3, No longer will there be any a curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. 2 Timothy 1.10. In which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, in an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in most reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. I want to spend a little time on First Peter. We take a look at what things will look like. We have assurance these three words, imperishable, which means immortal. We will never die. We will spend eternity with him. Our hope is not in a future resurrection, a future life that has a a, a time span. Our hope is in a life, an eternity that is forever. Undefiled or pure. Creation, the redemption of our bodies will be pure, undefiled. Think of all the impurities here on the earth. Think, I mean, I'm sure there's people in here right now that may have parts of the body that are not pure. Whether it is, I mean, if you look into all the diseases that we have, the extra genes or the lack of a gene that an individual has, things are going to be redeemed. Things are going to be pure. You guys realize that? That the, the situations that we are faced with on earth now where people do not feel pure. Or they don't feel complete. Or they feel they have something wrong. And some people do have major physical issues that they are dealing with. Those things are going to be redeemed. Those things are going to be undefiled. Those things are going to be pure. Those things are going to be immortal. That's the afterlife that we have hope in. And also unfading. Nothing's going to fade away. The glory of God is going to be magnificent. The glory of God will always be there. We will be living and dwelling with him. There will be an absence of everything that is evil. There will be an absence that everything is bad. You know, people will start talking about heaven. They'll talk about hell. And I don't want to get into hell because I want to leave some stuff for Joe next week. But just thinking about it, like, we will be with God who is love. And and, in the presence of that everything that is good, beyond the way we can describe love and good. And hell is going to be this place of absence that everything is good and absence of love. God will not be present there. So there will be an absence of love. And so we are promised this imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, eternal life in a redeemed body and a redeemed creation. And it says God will dwell in us, referring back to, dwell with us, referring back to Revelations 21. I just think It's fascinating. Because what happens is some people are like, okay, this is awesome. Okay, how, why, why, is, why is this important right now? Okay, I realize that, I realize that he's going to redeem us. I realize that he's going to redeem creation. What happens is tra- tragedies like Hurricane Katrina happens. And people look at that and say, you know, there's, there's two spectrums. People are like, oh, God cursed them. There's witchcraft down there. You know, he punished them. You know, some people will look at that and start to say those things about that situation, and then there's other people who say, "How could God let such a thing happen? He's such a loving God. How can He let this happen? How can He let these genocides happen? How can He let a baby be born without an arm and they have to deal with that the rest of their life?" And people start asking these questions: How? Why? Or, or they'll say, "God cursed somebody." This is a reality. When God created the heavens and the earth, when He created humanity, He said it was good. Sin came in. And it became undefiled. And it's a story of redemption through an entire Bible. About God promising to redeem humanity, redeem creation. He's not happy about the things that take place. He didn't create this world to be the way it is today. He didn't create our bodies to be mortal. That's not what he created it to be. So these promises that he has, the story throughout the Bible of this redemption that he promises... It's a big deal because when we look at situations and we say, oh, wow, that's a tragedy. Creation itself is not pure right now. Creation is longing to be recreated as Jesus promises to recreate it or, or to restore it. Sorry, to restore it. It'll be a new creation, but it's, it's a restored. It's, it's a new birth out of the old. And so when these tragedies take place, we don't have to sit there and say, why, God, did you let this happen? He's not happy about it. And, that's, and he would say, that's why I'm restoring humanity. That's why I sent my son to restore your body. That's why I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, because He is your comforter, He is your helper, He is your advocate, He's the one there to help you through life now. So hold on. Fight the good fight, Paul says, because of the hope that is to come. He know God knows situations are difficult here, but we have a hope. A couple years ago, I was – I worked for a mission organization for a couple years. This is going to be difficult. I might get emotional for myself. Um, And I was coordinating trips to Africa. I had seven trips going to Africa that I was responsible for, training leaders, getting the teams ready, coordinating with the mission – the missionaries, etc. Me and a couple friends were going to visit teams, work on some relationships with the missionaries, and do some stuff related to work, but also take opportunity to do some missionary work and so forth. I ended up having to go on a trip by myself because my friends weren't able to go, but I really felt led to go. When I was in Tanzania, and, and when I was in Tanzania, I had a connection with a guy that can get me into two UN refugee camps. A Burundian one and a Congolese one. And then when I was in northern Uganda, I got into an IDP camp. And I don't know if you know what's taking place in Burundi and Uganda in the past. I mean, have you guys seen Hotel Rwanda? The tragedy that took place between the two tribes, the Hutus and the Tutsis? You know what differences, the difference they have? Tutsis are taller, with a slender face, with smaller facial features. The Hutus are smaller, a rounder face, with a wider nose. And it's a genocide that takes place between the two. That story that you see in that movie took place for 13 years in Burundi. 13 years. I had an opportunity to go into one of the refugee camps. I had an opportunity to sit down with some of these refugees. And they sat there and described to me what they saw, what they experienced. They sat there and described it. One guy described it watching a family member being decapitated like a goat, being slaughtered like a goat. Others talked about how their family members were boarded up in a building and lit on fire. Those pictures you see in that movie, I've talked to people that watched it and experienced it. And their faces are stone cold by now. And then they're in these refugee camps, these situations where the refugee camps are closing down and they have to head back home. They've been out of their country forever. They have kids that have been born in refugee camps. They have kids that don't even know what they're, Homeland looks like. And they're having to go back. And they have no land. Their land has been taken. Other people are living there. They don't have anything. Yes, the UN helps them for a few months. But they have this lack of hope that's not there. And they were all Christians. And as we're talking about, the hope that they have, they hold on to. The hope that they have that gives them life, that helps them to continue on, is a hope of the redemption of our bodies. The hope of the new creation. That is the hope that they have to hold on to. They have nothing else. That is what they have. And so when we talk about the restoration of our bodies, when we talk about the restoration of creation, that is a real hope that we have. And that's a hope that is preached. And that's, a, that's the only hope that you can preach to some of these foreign countries. That's We don't face some of the situations other people face. And so this is real. And this is promised. And this is not a wishful hope. This isn't Oh, maybe God will do this. Maybe he'll do this or that. No, he has promised it and he has lifted out and walked out through Jesus Christ, walking on this earth and being beaten, spilling his blood, and then being resurrected and promising us the same life through faith in him and sealing us with that, sealing that promise by pouring out his Holy Spirit now. Give us, you call it almost a down payment to what is to come, like a little promise Like he's promising to us. He will redeem us. And so we've been talking about the life after life after death. And we talk about the life that is to come. We hold on to that hope. And we look at the tragedy that's around us. We realize God doesn't say it's good. He's not happy with it. And he cannot wait to redeem humanity. He cannot wait to redeem creation. The picture of Jerusalem coming down, merging and, and God and the behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful, beautiful picture we have. In Philippians one, verses three through six it says, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now. And I am sure of this. I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We are promised that the work he has begun. Just, I'm just pounding on this today. The work that he began. Point out his Holy Spirit. That he will bring it to completion when Jesus Christ comes. At the end of the times he will redeem our body. Give us that life. That is promised to us. So this is the hope that we have. This is the hope we need to understand. We need to realize that this is truthful. We need to understand that God is a God of restoration. We need to understand what is to come and what we're promised so we can preach that. So we can share that. And we bring hope to people that are living in tragedy today. Because yes, God gives us Holy Spirit. He will comfort us now. He will be there to be with us today. But the glorious, glorious coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's going to usher in a new heavens, new earth, and resurrect our bodies. It's still yet to come. And we can hold our hope in that. And so I am done early, but I am as I'm done though. Like this is, I was excited to share this with you guys I was excited to bring this to the table because this is a real authentic hope we have. So don't hold it for granted. Don't hold yourself back because there's people out there that need this hope and they have nothing else but this hope. So dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for what you have done. We thank you for being our God. We thank you for the promises that you always fulfill. We thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross, being resurrected, and promising us that same life. We thank you for pouring out the Holy Spirit to be our advocate, to be your comforter now while we're here. We thank you for being truthful. We thank you for the coming glory, and we just ask you to be with us today, and let's just reflect on how glorious you are in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank Jordan.
0: It's good. It's real good. Well, everybody, we'll see you next week. I'm going to talk a little bit about hell and a lot of bit about the new heaven that's coming. And so we'll see you next week. Peace out.